morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, good morning. Oh, good morning to you too. Friendly people, friendly. I'm Michael Flake, one of the pastors here. Great to be together as a church family this morning, both online and at the Lake Norman YMCA. Great to be together as a church family as we rebuild the habits of worshiping and serving together on Sunday mornings. Whether you are cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there is room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. As you may know, we are Lake Forest Davidson. As this year goes on, with the blessing of the whole Lake Forest family, we're taking a new step of maturity, become a freestanding local church called Story Hill Church. So for the next few months, you'll hear us sometimes say Lake Forest Davidson, sometimes Story Hill Church. You're smart people. You'll figure it out. Whatever we call ourselves, we're still the same bunch trying to do the same thing. But uh, you, you'll figure it out. It's an exciting time for us. And it's uh, mid-December, we will have the actual service where our denomination will come, and you guys will vote whether or not you want me to be the pastor of Story Hill Church. So think very carefully about that. Think very carefully uh, about that. Gray has already put his name in the running, so... Bread and circuses, folks. Bread and circuses. That's my campaign platform. Today we continue our year-long series of sermons called The Story with a capital S. For all of 2021, we're looking at the big picture of the Bible that from the beginning of time, God has been writing a great story in this world, and you and I are invited to come and find our place in it. We have resources available that you can find there at lakeforest.org slash LFCD, the story. Uh, reading plans, family reading plans, videos you can watch to make the Bible a little less big and intimidating. So throughout the first half of the Bible, we've been hearing about this coming hero, this wounded champion called the Messiah, called the Christ, who's going to come and lead an eternal kingdom. Now we're in the second half of the Bible, and we've been introduced to Jesus as the one we've been waiting for, that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is fully God and fully human. He is God wrapped up in human flesh, and he moved into the neighborhood, and he came on a rescue mission for you and for me to reconcile us to God. Jesus came to establish God's kingdom to do so in love. That's what his life was about. That's what his death was about. And yet, as we heard last week, on the third day, the crucified Jesus was raised from the dead the conqueror of death, the perfect sacrifice who's been vindicated by God in his resurrection. And he says, come, follow me, and I will repurpose your life. Come, follow me, and I will repurpose your life. So today we want to begin the story with a capital S, Volume 7. Volume 7. We're at Volume 7 of 8. We are starting to wind this thing down, come to the conclusion of our year-long series, but hold on tight because Volume 7 is going to start with a bang. Jacob read for us earlier from Acts chapter 1. Acts is the book of the Bible that chronicles the growth and the struggles of the early church, of the early Christian movement. If you don't have a Bible, you're always free to take one uh, on the way out the door of the gym. Or there's apps you can download if you are younger than me. Or maybe older than me. 
more technologically advanced than me. I'm an old-fashioned hard copy guy. So today what we're going to see is we're going to see Jesus handing off his mission to his followers empowered by the Holy Spirit. So we're going to watch that handoff, and that's going to raise a very natural question, which will be the second half of the sermon. Well, who is God the Holy Spirit? So we've got the books of the Bible called Luke and called Acts. They are companion volumes. They're written by the same guy. The book of Acts begins by reminding the reader that Jesus was killed, that his death was so meaningful that I can't describe it all right now. Go back and read my first book called Luke. And then we learn this. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Acts 1, chapter 1, verse 3. After Jesus' suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So after the death of Jesus, on the third day, he's raised from the dead as the hinge point of all history. Then what happened? For 40 days, he spent time convincing his first disciples that he was really alive. That he was not Jesus the friendly ghost. He is alive. Here are my wounds by which you've been healed. Take hold of my nail-scarred hand as I reach out to you. For 40 days, he convinced them that he was alive. And he taught his first disciples about the eternal kingdom of God. And then at the end of those 40 days, he told his disciples this. Do not leave Jerusalem... But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus tells his first disciples, stay here in Jerusalem until you get washed over by the Holy Spirit. As I said, volume 7 starts with a bang. The disciples feel this. They're starting to get excited. Is this the culmination of all things, Jesus? Is it finally time for God to intervene and run off these crummy Romans and end this world and restore his creation to perfection in the world to come? Jesus responds this way. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. People always hope their church will have a sermon series about how the world is going to end. Here it is. (laughs) Only God the Father knows. End of series. Thank you very much. There is only one person on the end of the world planning committee. And it ain't you. And it ain't me. Jesus refocuses his earliest disciples a little bit. He refocuses you and me a little bit. He says that is important, but don't give that all your focus. Focus a little more on this. Jesus continues, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. This is often called the ascension of Jesus, and the context is crucial. Jesus is telling his first followers that the Holy Spirit is coming, the Holy Spirit will empower them, the Holy Spirit will empower them to do what? To spread the good news of the kingdom, 
to spread the hope that they have found in Jesus. And they will spread it to Jerusalem, where they are, Judea, which is their region, Samaria, which is over an important line of division, cultural division in their day, and to the ends of the earth. Like Davidson, North Carolina, like Lake Norman, we think it's the center of the universe, but if you're in Jerusalem, it's the end of the earth. And the disciples start looking at each other. This is a tall order. How are we going to do this? I mean, we're just generally uneducated fishermen. We grew up by a lake called the Sea of Galilee, but it'd be like calling it the Sea of Norman. It's a lake. What are we going to do? How are we going to do this? Jesus, do you really think we can do this? And when they turn to look at Jesus, they realize he's not there. He's going up into the sky like the disciples have let go of their balloon. I have a two-year-old. And then Jesus is hidden by a cloud, and when the cloud leaves, Jesus is not there. Volume 7 has started with a bang. Suddenly, two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So these men, presumably angels, come to tell the first disciples, he'll be back. He'll be back when it's time. Remember what he told you to do. Remember what he told you to do. The Holy Spirit will empower you to be my witnesses, to point people to me in Jerusalem, where you are, in Judea, your region, in Samaria, across lines of division, and to the very ends of the earth. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. So, Pentecost is a Jewish holiday. It is 50 days after the Passover, which is about the time that Jesus was killed on the cross. So, it's been about, if you do the math, it's been about a week and a half since Jesus has left. The disciples are all together for the holiday of Pentecost. And then, like the blowing of a violent wind, the house they're in gets filled with something they cannot explain. And the disciples, who are generally uneducated people, start talking in languages they've never previously spoken. They run out into the street, continuing to speak in these languages. There are thousands of Jewish people in Jerusalem to celebrate the holiday of Pentecost. And they're from all around the world. They speak all kinds of languages because of the exile generations ago. That was from volume 5, if you've been here all year. The disciples are making so much commotion that a crowd of people starts to form near them. And the crowd of people is shocked that these folks are drunk on a sacred holiday. And then they check their watches, or I guess their sundials. And they realize it's only nine in the morning. These people aren't drunk. Well, what is this? 
Because they hear these folks sharing about God's kingdom, sharing about Jesus in their own languages. So this is when Peter, one of the disciples who was called Simon, but now he's called Peter. That happened in volume 6. He stands up and he gives a sermon. And people are so convicted by this sermon that on that day, 3,000 of them decide to follow Jesus. To commit their lives into Jesus' nail-scarred hands. What can you say? The Holy Spirit tagged in and started volume 7 with a bang. Less than two months ago, I'm not talking two months in the sermon series, I'm talking two months in the actual historical timeline. Less than two months ago, Jesus was dead and his handful of disciples had scattered. Now, there are over 3,000 people declaring their deepest allegiance is to Jesus. The Christian movement is going viral. It is exploding. It is exploding like dynamite. Dynamite from the Greek word dunamis, which means power. As in, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Volume 7 starts with a bang like dynamite from the Greek word dunamis, which means power, as in you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. So this gets us to one of the peculiarities of the Christian faith, which is that Christians believe God is Trinity. Trinity, which is a blending of the words try and unity. Trinity, that God is both three and one, three in persons, one in essence. Now, how God can be both three and one is a wondrous mystery. It's one of those moments we realize we will never fully understand God, that we are beings of a lesser order trying to understand God. And the wondrous God that Christians worship exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, a.k.a. Jesus the Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. But all of these persons have the same substance. In other words, they have the exact same character. They have the exact same goals. They are, in essence, the same. But if you ask the average person, if you ask the average Christian, what is it that the Holy Spirit does in the world? You might get a puzzled look. What does the Holy Spirit do in the world? You might get an answer like, he makes some people handle snakes? I don't know. What does the Holy Spirit do in the world? The Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity most of us know the least about. And I think it's largely because we're missing the obvious. If you ask a fish, how's the water? The fish will say, what's water? Same thing with us. Since Acts chapter 2, we have been swimming in a spirit-bathed world. The Holy Spirit is, at this moment in history, the main character of God's story. The Holy Spirit is powering forward many things that we take for granted. So God the Father created and sustains the world. God the Son is reconciling the world back to God. And what the Holy Spirit is primarily doing is pushing that ministry of Jesus, pushing that ministry of reconciliation to the ends of the earth and deeper into every human heart that opens to Jesus. 
What the Holy Spirit is doing is pushing the ministry of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, the hope of Jesus further out and further in. God the Holy Spirit powers Jesus' Acts 1-8 mission forward. God the Holy Spirit powers Jesus' Acts 1-8 mission forward. This is the primary work of God the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit fuels, the Spirit powers, the Spirit propels forward the mission Jesus laid out. He is getting, the Spirit is getting the hope and the mercy of Jesus further out and further in. As the word spirit implies, the Holy Spirit does not have a body. We cannot see the Holy Spirit, but we can see the Spirit's effects. We can see the Spirit's impacts. We can see the result of His power like dynamite. The upshot of all this is that if you are a follower of Jesus, or if today or in the future you become a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in your life. You, like those very first disciples and every disciple since, are filled with the Holy Spirit. And I hope that you are able to see more and more how the Spirit is drawing you closer to God, how He's drawing you into Jesus' final words in Acts 1.8. Now, if you're not a Christian, if you're exploring the Christian faith, I hope a better understanding of God the Holy Spirit will help you realize He's doing more than making a few folks handle snakes. Maybe you've met someone, seen someone, encountered someone who follows Jesus, and there's just something about them you can't explain. They are different, as Christians tend to be, but they are different in a refreshing way. They are different in a way that you wish you had some of. That's the power of God the Holy Spirit in their lives. That's the Spirit trying to push the mercy and the hope of Jesus, the grace and the truth of Jesus, further out and further in. So I want to look at at least four things the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit does that that we may actually take for granted. In the same way fish doesn't know what water is. Fourth ways we can see the power of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. And they are these. Number one, number one, number, number, number. Number one. The Holy Spirit reveals God's truth to people. The Holy Spirit reveals God's truth to people. Second Peter chapter 1 says, Prophecy, meaning prophecy in the Bible, prophecy never had its origins in the human will. Prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The fancy theological terms here are that the Spirit inspires and illuminates the Bible. The Spirit inspires and illuminates the Bible. Everybody who wrote the Bible was clearly human. No one debates this. No one thinks the Bible fell out of heaven with the price tag on it. But the writers, though human, were carried along. Their writings were arrested by the Holy Spirit. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit as they wrote, such that their writings came not just from their own selves, but from God. So thanks to the Holy Spirit, their writings contain the spiritual treasures that God wants us to find. And in fact, the Spirit sort of serves as the lamp, as sort of the metal detector by which we find these treasures. That's the inspiration and the illumination of the Bible. 
So if you or someone you know has ever grown closer to God by reading the Bible, who do you have to thank? The Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit reveals God's truth to people. Number two, the Holy Spirit comforts us in our weakness. The Holy Spirit comforts us in our weakness. Romans chapter 8 says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Jesus Himself describes the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14 as an advocate and a comforter. God the Holy Spirit is a comforter. The Scripture is saying that when your spirit is too faint to pray, too frustrated to pray, that what the Holy Spirit does is He wraps you up, like in the sense that we even think of a comforter. Right? What, when you hear the word comforter, what do you think? Someone who might put their arm on your shoulder or, or a big old blanket that you can wrap yourself up in. When your spirit is too faint, too fatigued, too frustrated to pray, the Spirit wraps you up and prays for you. Have you ever been there? When you don't even know what to pray for, you can rest in God and let the Holy Spirit pray for you. If you have ever been at a place where the only thing you can do is sit silently or sob or groan and somehow trust God to make sense of that because you can sit silently and sob and groan in God's direction just as easily as you can do it not in God's direction. You and I can thank the Holy Spirit for taking those silences, those sobs, those groans, and making them into a beautiful prayer. Asking for what we don't even know we need to ask for. Putting to words what we cannot even put to words. And if today or in the future you ever need the deep comfort of God, remember that the Holy Spirit is a comforter. Ask Jesus, the Christ, to send him into your life as your comforter. Number three, the Holy Spirit gives people gifts so that they might serve others. The Holy Spirit gives people gifts so that they might serve others. When the Holy Spirit, when a person becomes a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into their lives, into your life, and the Holy Spirit brings some kind of a housewarming present. And so I've included a few little lists from the Bible, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, that list, it's a non-exhaustive list of some of these what get called spiritual gifts or gifts of the Spirit, these housewarming gifts that the Holy Spirit might bring. The Holy Spirit gives everyone who follows Jesus at least one gift, one spiritual gift, gift of the Spirit, so that they might serve others. And sometimes it's a gift you never had before, like when the disciples in Act 2 started talking in languages they'd never spoken in before. I've met folks who, who have had a similar experience. It can also just be an elevation on, a twist on, a, a, a new awareness, uh, actually a, a sort of a new power in a gift that you already had. An expansion of that gift, for example. The Spirit gives these gifts like the Spirit gives us the Bible, like the Spirit gives us comfort so that we might engage with the Acts 1-8 mission. 
The gifts are primarily there to serve one more person, to let one more person experience the grace of God, the mercy of Jesus, the hope of Jesus through your life. So the Holy Spirit is not just the gift giver, but he also has to get down inside of us and start to change us, change our heart, change our mind, that we would want to use our gifts to serve other people, to propel Jesus' mission forward. One more person at a time. This gets me to a story which gets me to my final point. I've told this story before, but it bears repeating. The last time I told this story, I had someone stop me in a gas station and ask me to retell it to them. So I guess it's a good story. I don't know. When I was in seminary, I was part of a startup church that uh, was not able to, to make it. We had to, had to close it down. So I pretty quickly had to find a, a new church. And I landed at a Pentecostal church. If you don't know much about Pentecostal churches, they are churches that really emphasize the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost. That's where the name comes from. And they really emphasize the kind of the beauty of the holy ruckus that the Spirit created on that first, uh, when he came at Pentecost. They're a spirited, wonderful branch of the family tree. And so the pastor of that church had this, he had many quotes I will remember. Um, he was a somewhat passionate guy. And he had this one quote I will remember and I tell it often. He would say, the primary desire of the Holy Spirit is not to make you collapse over a pew. Though you might. And I'm just sitting there like, whoo boy, I, I'm in over my head. I sway to the music sometimes, you know. And he would do this thing where he would clap and jump at the same time, but his feet didn't leave the, the ground but by about that much. It was like an explosion of dynamite. It was amazing. He said, the primary desire of God, the Holy Spirit, is not to make you collapse over a pew. Though you might. The primary work of God, the Holy Spirit, the primary desire of God, the Holy Spirit, is to make you more like Jesus. I thought, this guy studied the Holy Spirit a lot more than I have, so I wrote that down. Then I collapsed over a pew. But... <laughs> the Holy Spirit, number four, number four. This is from Pastor Dan. He wanted you to know this. Number four, he just recently retired. Pastor Dan, God the Holy Spirit makes us more like Jesus. Makes us more like Jesus. And that gets us back to our text. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. If you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus says you are fueled by the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses around the world, in your neighborhood, in your class, in your school, at the homeless shelter, on vacation. You will be my witnesses. You will be my ambassadors. You will be my representatives. You will be my ministers. In other words, you and I don't have to totally quit being us, but we do need to become a little more like Jesus. The one to whom our lives point. So God the Holy Spirit wants to transform you to make you more like Jesus. And you might start to see little bursts, little explosions, like dynamite of Jesus in your life because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Little bursts of Jesus. I may not be perfect, but every once in a while, every once in a while your life, every once in a while my life could offer a little burst of Jesus to someone who needs it. A little burst of Jesus to one more person. The Bible says it this way, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, we studied this about a year and a half ago, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
and self-control. That your life gets interrupted by a burst of love or you get overwhelmed by a burst of joy, overcome by a burst of peace. To an annoying friend, a burst of Jesus. Patience. In a bad situation, a burst of Jesus. Kindness. In a situation where you could take the low road, a burst of Jesus. Goodness. In a situation where you don't feel like doing the right thing, a burst of Jesus. Faithfulness. In a situation where you do feel like doing the wrong thing, saying the wrong thing, being the wrong thing, a burst of Jesus. Self-control. 2,000 years ago, in Jerusalem, Jesus told his disciples, Be my witnesses where you are in your region, across lines of division, and to the ends of the earth. How'd they do? Not bad, disciples. Not bad at all. Or maybe better yet said, Way to go, Holy Spirit. Way to go. Jesus came to restore us to God, to community, and to life. Jesus came to restore us to God, to community, and to life. And the Holy Spirit is pushing that message across lines of division to the very ends of the earth. And deeper into every heart that opens to Jesus. When you hear it put that way, you might then realize the Acts 1-8 mission ain't done yet. There's been a lot of progress made, but the mission is not yet finished. Thanks to God, the Holy Spirit, you and I can still be an active part of what God is doing in this world. And you and I will find our deepest purpose in that in being a minister of reconciliation, a minister for Jesus, a minister of the reconciliation, the hope and the mercy of Jesus, a minister where you are, in our region, across lines of division, to the ends of the earth. You don't have to do everything, but you can do something. As a minister, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to push the hope and the mercy of Jesus further out and further in. The point being that if you are a Christian, or if in the future or today you become a Christian, you are a minister. You're a minister where you are. And you're empowered by God the Holy Spirit. And I would encourage you to look again at your life, look again at the people in your life, look again at the opportunities in your life through that lens. Who are you really? Well, as a follower of Jesus, I am a minister. Empowered by God the Holy Spirit. To be a witness, a representative of Jesus in all his grace, in all his truth, in all his hope, in all his mercy. My life has a purpose deeper than I could have ever imagined. And don't hear that as you need to quit your job and and try to beat me out in that vote, you know, in the mid-December. 
Whether I'm the pastor of a church or not, I'm a minister. No matter what you do, you're a minister as a follower of Jesus. You're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Part of my job is to just help you, remind you of that. I do it every week, and you keep showing up, and I'll just do it again the next week. Let me close with this question for your reflection. What would be your prayer today for yourself or for your one more person, that one more person who seems to be experiencing the hope or the mercy of Jesus through you? What would be your prayer today for yourself or your one more person in light of what the Holy Spirit can do? God, the Holy Spirit, wants to draw you closer into God. He wants you to be the avenue through which He draws other people closer into God. We live in a Spirit-bathed world. The Spirit has done so much in our lives that we may take for granted to propel Jesus' mission forward. So I pray you and I will look anew at the life God has given us, the, the friends, the opportunities, the, the, the place in life where we are, And see it as the opportunity, I think he meant it as, a place for you to be a minister in Jesus' name, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, to talk to God, to listen to God about whatever he's stirring up in your heart or in your mind. Just take a quiet moment for personal prayer. Lord, I thank you that you are doing something marvelous in this world still. You continue to build upon the work you have done from generation to generation. And in a surprising turn of events, you invite us into it. I mean, at first glance, the people in the Bible, they're like heroes of the faith. Us, not so much. How quickly we tend to see all the good and forget all the bad of those who came before us. You invite us into your work in this world. No matter how perfectly or imperfectly we have lived our lives. And so Lord, I pray you would give us who are your followers new eyes to see the world around us. See the world as you see it for its needs and its opportunities. The chance to kindly and respectfully spread the hope and the mercy we have found in you. Lord, for those of us who are exploring our faith, I pray we might see there's something much bigger happening 
than just our little section of the world. And that we might decide to join this global and historic movement of people who has found in you a life we have found nowhere else. I pray we will open our lives to you. Receive your Holy Spirit. And be sent as your ministers to a hurting world. We pray all that in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.